Hi there. This is the Custer Gallatin National Forest Planning Podcast. I'm here on the forest today with Jake Chaffin, Watershed Program Manager. Jake, do you mind starting by sharing just a little bit about yourself? My name is Jake Chaffin. I'm the Watershed Program Manager here on the forest. The Watershed Program is um, fisheries, hydrology, soils. I'm also assigned part-time to the forest plan revision effort for watershed aquatics and riparian. Been on the forest two and a half years. Prior to that, I was uh, with the BLM, Bureau of Land Management, um, based out of Miles City, Montana, and Billings, Montana, for a total of about seven years. Before that, I uh, worked with the Flathead Lake Biological Station in western Montana in a little bit different arena doing primary research, Selmonid and River Ecology for six years or so. Went to grad school at uh, Virginia Tech and um, undergrad in, in Missoula at University of Montana. Great. What made you decide to work for the Forest Service? You know, one of the things I've always liked about the, the Forest Service is, and really all the BLM lands too, is that the, the work that I started doing, primary research, was great. You find things out, learn, learn about science, and for me, learn about aquatic systems. But when you work for the Forest Service or the BLM, you get to apply that knowledge to lands. Cool. Okay. So talk to me about water on this forest. Um, how, you know, what's unique about it? Yeah, so it's a diverse forest. And because of that, the water is unique. There's something like 5,500, 5,700 miles of streams, 1,000 or so lakes and ponds. The Custer Gallatin extends across two ecoregions, uh, the Northern Great Plains and the Middle Rockies ecoregions. And ecoregions... Um, have different geologic and climactic factors that sort of make them different. And because of that, ecosystems are different, function differently, typically in some way or another. And if the driving factors underlying those ecoregions are different, then water is going to be different as you move from east to west in the forest. And so the critters are different. So it's kind of fun. There's all sorts of different aquatic critters out there. Sitting right here in Bozeman, there's high elevation mountain lakes and streams that are under snow now, and they'll be under snow till June. And there's invertebrates that key in on snow fields and permanent glaciers draining. And that's the only place they live is right there. And then we've got cutthroat trout streams and rainbow trout rivers where anglers from around the country come here to fish. And if we step over to the east zone, as we move further east in our prairie districts, there's um, warm water streams, they're slow moving, they're turbid, meaning they're full of sediment. Some people might walk around there if they're used to more mountain streams and trout fishing and think this is a mud puddle. There's nothing in here, but they're actually really diverse. So yeah, there's that gradient of biodiversity that occurs here that's really cool. Mm -hmm. They don't get on all forests. Another thing about this this forest that makes it somewhat unique is it's in terms of water. It's, uh, it's an arid landscape on the eastern side of the Continental Divide. So water is really precious. There's a quote out there from Mark Twain that, that uh, says, whiskey is for drinking and water is for fighting over. And that plays out across the West, but it might be especially prevalent in these arid landscapes. As an example of that, in our draft forest plan, we talk about municipal watersheds where a city or town uh, works with the Forest Service to have stream A or Lake B be municipal water for communities. 
And uh, with five of those on the forest currently, there, there could be more in the future. And certainly as population grows, that demand is going to increase. Uh, sort of a confounding factor that I should mention is with potential effects of something like climate change, um, it could alter the hydrologic cycle. So water is going to continue to be important on this forest and across the, the West, really. Okay, great. Can you talk to me a little bit about this term riparian areas, you know, what it is and um, what's their importance and role that they play on the forest? Riparian areas are, I guess the easiest way to think of them are um, that they're transition zones between sort of where the terrestrial uplands and the the actual aquatic water bodies collide. And another another way to think of it is a colleague in eastern Montana called them green lines in a sea of otherwise arid uplands. And while that fits especially well for the, our east zone because it's out in the plains, it also fits here. If you walk around the forest long enough, you start to notice differences. Soil characteristics are different. Vegetation is different. And, and therefore, these riparian areas are different, and they're unique. Something like two and a half, three percent of the entire three million acres of this forest are riparian areas. And although they're unique, a small percentage, they're, they're very biodiverse. Within the riparian areas, mammals, birds, reptiles, various invertebrates are using them. And then in the water themselves, the water itself, of course, different fish species, mussels, amphibians, other invertebrates are using them. And things like ducks and beavers, of course, are, are flocking to the water. So they're just, it's a very biodiverse area that's used by a, a whole suite of species that occur on the forest. And it's not just biodiversity that's important. It's the riparian areas do things like they filter sediment and hold sediment. In streams, they sort of act as a sponge and hold water, and which helps to recharge aquifers. And then they also, especially if we think of um, spring floods, water, you know, sort of ripping off the, the mountains in the spring, riparian areas should act as sponges to sort of dissipate or slow down some of that stream energy. So what changes relevant to these riparian areas might be coming in the new plan And then uh, furthermore, like what areas would you want to kind of draw attention to or highlight? So the the 2012 planning rule really talks, emphasizes the importance of riparian areas. And that's not necessarily new. The Custer-Gallatin, along with other forests, have been paying close attention to riparian areas in our current plans. And we follow state SMZ or streamside management zone laws. So we've been doing this for a while, but our draft plan has specific distances and descriptions across the entire forest. And it's going to make future implementation of riparian area conservation more consistent. And it should make it more understandable. And at the same time, it's not going to dramatically alter the way that we manage riparian areas. And I mean that relative to management actions that would occur under the new plan. Mm -hmm. And then something I would draw attention to is that the riparian areas are called riparian management zones in the new draft plan. And there is specific language in there that talks about some activities that would be limited. Things like we should try to avoid building roads in these RMZs 
we should avoid refueling activities, whether it's um, fire trucks or something like that that are out there. We want to keep that out of the riparian areas. And none of this is a big change, um, but it's just spelled out more clearly. And another way to think about it, as we're approaching the riparian management zone with some type of management action, we're going to tap the brakes, slow down a little bit, think about what we're doing, and just ensure that whatever management action it is, we're not negatively impacting these fragile and unique systems. And it's important to note that they're not no-touch zones. When you read through it, it might sound like, here's an area, here's a distance, and we can't do things in there, but that's not the case. If an activity is limited, it's spoken to in the plan. If it's not spoken to, it's not limited. And that's just the way that sort of forest plans are, are written. And then a final thing I would say is that um, this concept isn't just specific to the Custer-Gallatin. It occur, occurs across the entire West and, and beyond. Here on the Custer-Gallatin, I mentioned we're arid. We're in an arid landscape. So within Region 1, which is western or, um, Montana over into Idaho, western South Dakota, because we're a more arid landscape, productivity is less. Trees don't grow as much. Um, they don't bounce back as fast. They don't grow as tall. So we've recognized that, and our RMZs are going to be a little narrower than, say, west of the Continental Divide, Idaho, Pacific Northwest, places like that. Um, what kind of information uh, can the public provide during the upcoming comment period that would uh, add value or help support the decision in re uh, relation to riparian areas and water resources? I think a big thing that would help is you know, we spend a lot of time trying to make sure we've got all the most updated scientific info, but we could have missed stuff. So any what we call best available scientific information that we may have missed um, would be helpful, and particularly if it's relevant to the Custer-Gallatin. So what I mean by that is a uh, piece of literature that talks about fish in Louisiana you know, might not be relevant, but... Again, that's whatever scientific info that's out there that we missed that really helps with our analysis for the Custer-Gallatin. So that's always something that um, is helpful and we, we um, would, would like to have that info. Another thing is in the, in the past during different public meetings and things, we've heard from folks that some of the RMZ language I referred to, folks couldn't understand what exactly it meant. So we've put a... a a lot of time and effort into trying to clean up that language, make it more understandable. We've changed some of the tables, and we want to know if it's clear and understandable. And I just draw attention again that within the RMZ language, folks can key in on those activities that are limited versus the ones that aren't spoken to are not limited. So with that framework in mind, is the RMZ language clear and understandable? Um, I guess one thing comes to mind is the that I didn't mention. I don't think I mentioned this. The implementation of the RMZs, while they're not going to change management too much, they're going to protect the habitat needs of aquatic species, cutthroat trout, um, various amphibians, etc. That's something that I forgot to mention. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Custer Gallatin National Forest Planning Podcast. Our next and last episode is with Mary Erickson, the forest supervisor.